verses from Ephesians chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 2. It goes like this. Surely you have understood the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you? That is, the mystery that was made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been made known by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together in Christ. Members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, which are your glory, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that you, out of His glorious riches, may be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, along with all the Lord's people, to grasp how, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to accomplish immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, to Him be glory, no, Ask or imagine, according to His work, that is, according to His power that is at work in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, we are grateful for this word. 
that is alive and well and active through the presence of your Holy Spirit. We are grateful, God, that your word is not dead. And we are grateful, God, that your word and your Holy Spirit compel us to understand new possibilities. Lord, help us hear well. I pray that I would not get in your way this morning. May you be glorified in the church. In your name we pray. Amen. Why in the world, Faith Covenant Church? The Apostle Paul, a bit passionate, right? That's fascinating. That, that passage is right in the middle of Ephesians. You'd think it would be at the end of Ephesians, but it's like Paul gets so excited in the, in the middle of his writing, he just, he just can't help himself. And so he kind of gives a benediction right in the middle uh, of, of this wonderful book. Why all the passion? I think it's because he's so excited that God is able. Have you ever heard that phrase in the church? He is able. I remember back in the 90s, we used to sing a song, He is able, more than able. It was the most boring song in the 90s. I couldn't stand that song. I just fell asleep every time. But uh, our problem is, and I think my problem, in the church, we hear that phrase that God is able so often, we begin to think of God as kind of like the superintendent in an apartment building, right? You know, hey, honey, uh, the, the, the toilet's overflowing. Oh, don't worry, sweetheart. Uh, God is able. Uh, you know, he did such a great job on the garbage disposal. We'll call him. Paul is not saying that God is uh, efficient, which he is. He's not saying that God is reliable, which He is. He is saying that God is able to do immeasurably more than all you and I could ever ask or imagine. This being the case, church, come on, we can't help but imagine more, right? Take every prayer. Excuse me, I'm going to get a drink of water. I have a bit of a cold. Take every prayer ever offered in the history of humanity. We still haven't come close to understanding how immeasurably more God is able. To take every, every imaginative story or, or thought you have ever had or any human has ever had about which God could accomplish. I mean, we can imagine now, you know, we were like, okay, yeah, I believe God created the universe. I believe, I believe uh, 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 God created the color green. I, I imagine, of course, that God could create a you and a me. We get that, of course, but Paul compels us and reminds us that God is able to do immeasurably more than you've ever imagined God can do. Which means, faith, that God can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine, than you've ever asked or imagined for this church. So when you pray for the church, and time out, you pray for the church, right? Yeah? Hey, just a reminder all, that's a big deal. <laughs> you need to be praying for the church, not just me and the staff. You need to be praying for Faith Covenant Church, for the church worldwide. When you do, you get to pray big prayers. Because God is able to do more than you have ever imagined. We sometimes think, well, I'm just one person, though. 
And God, of course, says to us, well, why are you imagining what you can do? It's not about what you can do. It's what I can do through you. Well, Lord, we're just a small congregation. It's Faith Covenant Church. I think God might say to us, well, you know, I, I, I did write in my, in my scriptures, I wrote in the Word that I am, of course, limited by the size of local church congregations. No, that's not nowhere, there's nowhere in the Scriptures where, where God says, I am limited by how big a nation is or how big a church is or the size of your pocketbook or your IQ. God is never limited by us. But Lord, we're human. We have no power. I think God jumps, <coughs> I think God jumps, jumps up and I think God jumps up and down when we say, Lord, we have no power. I think He loves it. I think He, he, he dances in delight. Because that is the truth of the Scriptures. You have no power. Uh, you have no power outside of Him. With, with us, nothing's possible. With God, all things are possible, according to His Word. Faith, I can predict. I can't predict the future, what's going to happen this fall. But I do know that God is able to do immeasurably more than you have ever asked or imagined this fall, this next year. So we need to imagine more. How do you imagine more? <laughs> how do we do this, Pastor? Well, how about this? How about we ask God for the imagination of the Holy Spirit? Think about it. What if we began to pray not for what we're imagining? What if we began to ask God for what God is imagining? Lord, I, I, I have a vision. Lord, what's your vision? What are you seeing? What do you want me to see, Lord? Take away the blinders. In his book, The Divine Commodity, Sky Jathani shares a story from a, a trip he took with his father in India. While walking the streets of New Delhi, a little boy approached them. He was, quote, skinny as a rail and naked but for tattered blue shorts. His legs were stiff and contorted like a wire hanger twisted upon itself. Because of his condition, the little boy could only waddle along on callous knees. He made his way towards Sky and his father and cried out, One rupee, please, one rupee. Sky describes what happened. In his father's response, his father asked, What do you want? One rupee, sir, the boy said while mo motioning his hand to his mouth and, and bowing his head in deference. How about I give you five rupees. The boy's submissive countenance suddenly became defiant. He retracted his hand and sneered at us. He thought my father was joking, having a, a laugh at his expense. After all, no one would willingly give up five rupees. The boy started shuffling away, mumbling curses under his breath. My father reached into his pocket. Hearing the coins jingle, the boy stopped and looked, looked over his shoulder. My father was holding out a five-rupee coin. He approached the stunned boy and placed the coin in his hand. The boy didn't move or say a word. He just stared at the coin in his hand. We passed him and proceeded to cross the street. A moment later, the shouting resumed, except this time the boy was yelling, Thank you, thank you, bless you. He raced after us once again, but not for money. But to touch my father's feet. This is, I imagine, how our God sees us, Jethani writes. As miserable creatures in desperate need of His help, but rather than asking for what we truly need, 
Rather than desiring what he is able and willing to give, we settle for lesser things. Faith, do we worship a one rupee God? No. We don't even worship a five rupee God. We worship a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we have ever asked or imagined. More in whom, though, right? That's the rub, isn't it? More in us. More in us. Imagine, then, His power in us. The text doesn't say, of course, imagine immeasurably more as you sit on the sidelines. Now, the text says, now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. And we have a part in this. What is that power at work within us? Well, look at verse 18 and 19. You'll see it on the screen. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of God. Love and power and God's economy always go together. Love and power are two sides of the same coin. God's power, of course, is not like the world's power. We have to imagine His power, God's power in His love. Excuse me. Who's the most powerful person in the Bible? Someone. Jesus, thank you very much. Yeah. The most powerful person in the Bible is a man who had no place to lay his head. The most powerful person in the Bible is a man who did not have a huge bank account. The most powerful person in the Bible is not a man who walked around carrying a weapon outside of the Word of God. The most powerful person in the Bible allowed his enemies, because he loved them, to torture him and nail him on a cross. Then saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That is the most powerful person in the Bible. See, love and power in God's economy always work together. Have you ever thought about the cross as one of the most powerful demonstrations of love and one of the most loving demonstrations of power? Where is this power? Where's God's power best displayed in the church? I had a Sunday school teacher when I was three, four years old, Jenny Elvin. Uh, Jenny Elvin taught that age group for decades at my little church growing up. That woman helped change the, direct, the, the trajectory of my life just by lovingly, every week, sharing the love of God with these little kids, me being one of them. When we had our, um, our church retreat recently, one of our older saints was helping young, one of our younger saints who needed help managing the terrain uh, with her walker. Those two people together, out of love, were demonstrating God's power. 
As we cheered at the retreat for this little girl of three, four years old, I don't know, uh, literally climbing, two of them actually, climbing the climbing wall, as we all gathered together, we cheered for her. That was powerful stuff. Whenever you pray for another person, that is powerful. Whenever you give to the ministry of the gospel, through your time, your talents, your treasures, that is powerful stuff. See, we need to hear this, church. God, for 2,000 years, has put his chips on local congregations for carrying the ministry of the gospel to the world. He's put his, all of his chips on the church. And we think, oh, the church is so broken. We think the church is it's corrupt. There's all these problems a bunch of, filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Absolutely. Think about it. God's brilliant. I'm, there's no way he can shine better than through a bunch of broken people who are cracked. We would get all puffed up if we had it all together. The church has to know we need God. And God has said, I am going to put all my chips on the church. Don't believe me? I want, I'm going to show you something here that's going to take your value of the church and raise it to here. Imagine God's glory in the church. My next point. In our, church, in our world, all people seek all kinds of glory. Presidential candidates are seeking glory in 2020. The Vikings are seeking glory in the Super Bowl. God help them. Look at this, look at this verse. Ephesians 3.10. Read this with me if you would. His... God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I love that verse. I mean, think about Church, as we are gathered right now, as the church is gathered worldwide, I hope that you are being edified. If you're a visitor here, I pray that you, are, you walk away from this experience, uh, tasting and seeing that God is good, and I hope that's happening all over the world, but we need to know something. There is something supernatural going on every time the church is together. That text tells us that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. As you stand and sing... As, as you reach out a loving hand, as you pray for another, as the church does church stuff throughout the world, we are testifying to the spiritual realm. Come on, church. Let's take that value of the church here and let's move it up to where God has placed it. We have to value the church. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we have to value the church the way Jesus values the church. I like the, the way Pastor John Piper puts it. He says, the way the church glorifies God is by simply providing an arena in which the work of Jesus Christ can take effect. What does that look like? Let's make it simple, really simple. Peter, James, and John, three disciples, okay? They're, what they'd imagined for their lives the day before they met Jesus was, uh, we're fishermen. Our fathers were fishermen, their fathers were fishermen, we're going to be fishermen. That's all that they had imagined. Maybe they asked God that they would be very good at catching fish. That's great. The very next day, they meet Jesus. And he says three words, just three words. 
Come, follow me. They did something very simple. They dropped their nets. And then step by step, over a long journey of obedience, they followed him. And what happened? More than they could have ever asked or imagined, according to the Spirit's work in them and Jesus, but in them as well. The, uh, the theater of God's glory, where Jesus became center stage in their lives, changed everything. It changed them. It changed everyone they loved. It changed everyone that, that didn't like them. It changed the world. And so my question for all of us today as we you know, move the, the value of the church from here to here, and as we hear those three words, come, follow me, is it possible you're willing to take your hands off whatever you have yet imagined and put one foot in front of the other, following Jesus, recognizing that as you follow him, He's going to do more than you could have ever asked, more than you could have ever imagined. Not only today, but tomorrow and the next day. He's going to take us places we never thought of. And He is good, and He can be trusted. The good news is not that we have to believe in and depend upon Jesus. The good news is that we get to believe in and depend upon Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. You are so good and faithful that we feel comfortable, free to approach you with faith, asking for Holy Spirit-filled imaginations. Create prayers in us, Lord, that reach deeper, wider, and higher than our finite imagines have yet discovered. We pray, Lord, very specifically that your glory would be manifest in this church to testify to this world and the heavenly realms, the greatness of your Son, not just in this generation of people, but throughout all generations. And we pray, Lord, with Paul, we pray that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people worldwide, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled at Faith Covenant Church to the measure of all the fullness of you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy kickoff Sunday, Faith. So glad. Yes, Tone. The picnic is downstairs. It is not outside. You may go outside, you will get wet. Uh, we're going to close, we're going to be in, in this Imagine More series for the rest of September. We're going to close every Sunday with these final two verses from Ephesians 3. And so I ask you to stand with me and let us say them boldly together as we walk out of here. Now to Him 
who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Jill and I will be at the welcome table. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to see you. Have a great week.